pray. Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles with me, please, to John chapter 10, the Gospel of John chapter 10. I got to say, I've been looking forward all week to share with you these scriptures that our Lord has laid out before us today. In fact, I can't think of a more timely or rich section of scripture for us to be in. In many ways, these lie at the very heart of the saving mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. These verses are not peripheral. These verses are not secondary in nature. These verses are primary in importance. So my prayer for us today and all this week is that God will continue to enlarge our hearts for him and will only strengthen and deepen our love for him. You'll remember last week we began this chapter as we covered verses 1 through 10. And today as we continue in verses 11 through 21. Once again our teacher is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And I want to begin today by reading our text together. And then as always we will go verse by verse as we uncover the incredible truth that the good shepherd loves his sheep. Let's begin in John chapter 10 in verse 11. These are the words of our Lord. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge or commandment I have received from my father. There was a, again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he is a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? While others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? There are many passages that survey for us the saving death of Jesus Christ upon the cross at Calvary. We have in the Old Testament numerous passages that become a prophetic view of Calvary. I think of the prophet Isaiah and the suffering servant prophecies. Isaiah 42, 49, 50, of course Isaiah 52 and 53. I think of Psalms, uh, David wrote Psalm 16 and Psalm 22, written as though they were at the foot of the cross. These are so detailed in their descriptions and their explanations of the saving faith of Jesus Christ upon the cross hundreds of years before his incarnation that it bears extraordinary testimony of the power that is in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we then come to the New Testament, we have the account of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, all of them top-heavy, in the last week and in the suffering of the crucifixion death of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And as we continue on through the New Testament, the epistles and letters continue in this proclamation of the necessity and the power of Christ's atoning death upon the cross. But here in John chapter 10, we have something incredibly special. In these verses, we have Jesus' own commentary on his own death. And the explanation that our Lord gives regarding his own substitutionary death is unlike any that we find in Scripture. In these verses, Jesus is both the speaker and the subject. We have the greatest teacher expounding the greatest truth. (laughs) Here in these verses, we have Jesus preaching Christ and Christ crucified. We have Jesus preaching who he is and what he has come to do. Here we have Jesus preaching the depths of his great love as the good shepherd willingly, intentionally, sacrificially laid down his life for his sheep. Now as we begin to look at these verses more closely, I want you to first notice the exclusive claim. This is an exclusive claim that only Jesus Christ could make. Look at verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for who? For the sheep. And then he repeats it again in verse 15. I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus died on the cross specifically and intentionally for his own sheep. That's how personal his blood is. Now, this biblical truth is sometimes referred to as particular redemption. Others refer to as limited atonement, regardless of titles. It is our Lord's teaching that he has come on a mission to rescue his sheep. In what's called the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays in John 17, verse 9. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Here we see Jesus is praying specifically for those whom the the Father has given him. Now, you might say, but wait, what about the verses for God so Love the world that he died. Or in 1 John 2 when it says he died not only for our sins, but also the sins of the whole world. Well, we need to understand, first of all, that the word for world is used in a variety of ways. Yes, sometimes it means everybody. Sometimes it's just a hyperbolic word that just means a certain group, such as the whole world went after him. And believe it or not, this matters. This matters because what Jesus accomplished at Calvary doesn't want, it wasn't just a, a random act. Jesus died on the cross specifically for whoever believes in him. And we see in verses like these, Jesus brings more sharply into focus his sacrificial and his atoning death on the cross. Jesus said the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In Ephesians 5, verse 25, it says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See how specific was the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. How precious was his death. It was specific and precious enough that if you're one of his, your names were written on the heart as he went to the cross 2,000 years ago. That's how precious his death is. He knows you by name. I mean, think about that for a minute. He knows you by name. Last week, we read it in verse 3 of chapter 10, that the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and then he leads them out. This is personal. This is exclusive. This isn't 
just random. <laughs> he knows his own, and we'll see his own knows him. So the good shepherd calls his own sheep by name, but he, he didn't stop there. He didn't just call you out. No, no. Now we see in verse 11, the good shepherd purposely lays down his life for the sheep that he might save and forever secure his own. How gracious is our Lord. Now in verse 11, we also notice the fourth of the, these I am statements that are found only in the gospel of John. To this point, we have seen Jesus claim, I am the bread of life in John chapter 6. He said, I am the light of the world in John chapter 8. Last week in chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. These are all affirmations of his deity wrapped up in that I am description. And as he makes this exclusive claim, Jesus asserting that once again, yes, I am that I am, Exodus 3. But in this context, he is also saying only God can shepherd his people. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That cannot be said of any man or of any woman. Only God can meet all of our needs. He has come to be everything for us. You do not have a need, but that Jesus Christ stands ready to be the source and the supply for every single need that you have on earth. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, top to bottom, north to south, east to west, every single issue in your life, Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. But even more than that, the good shepherd has come to deliver us as we'll see here in a moment. So that's the exclusive claim. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The second thing we see of the good shepherd is his excellent character. The most excellent of characters in, in verses 11 through 16, Jesus will give us three reasons you'll see in your notes why he is the good shepherd. It'd be enough for him to simply state it and we would believe by faith, would we not? How gracious of the Lord to open the vault of his heart as he lays down before us three reasons why he is the good shepherd so that our own hearts would become strong and trusting him more and more. And the first of these three reasons is Jesus dies for his sheep. You'll notice in verse 11, that he states the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's a figurative way to say that he gave himself unto death upon the cross in order to save us from the judgment to come, in order to save us from the wages of our sin, which is death. Jesus has come to lay down his life to Deliver us from the final judgment where every unbeliever will stand before God at that great white throne judgment and every knee will bow and they will all give an account to every micro moment of their life, of every thought and deed, every sin that they have ever committed. So you see what a glorious death this is upon the cross. This goes way beyond physical suffering of the good shepherd. There were thousands who endured physical suffering upon the cross. Rome crucified thousands of people, but there was only one who laid down his life for the sheep. <laughs> there was only one who died in the place of all that who would believe in him. There was only one who bore our sins upon that cross who became the repository of all of the sins of all of his people. You bet he's a good shepherd. There's no other shepherd that has ever saved us from our sins. 
He's a, 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 a glorious shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. He's an awe-inspiring shepherd. The glorious, brave, and noble shepherd who in the face of danger as sin was encroaching upon him. And the powers of the hell and devil and, and those sin-plagued souls. Jesus interposed himself between God's wrath and our cursed soul. And he bore the pain and the penalty on our behalf. He became a curse for us upon the cross. Yes, he is the good shepherd. He is the only good shepherd. He is the only savior of his sheep. Let me ask you something. Do you believe in him? Have you repented of your sins? Have you put all of your trust into the good shepherd? If you have, then I can tell you on the authority of the word of God, Christ lays down his life for you. In all of eternity, all of eternity will not be long enough for you to thank the good shepherd when you get to heaven. That debt of love we will have forever and ever. Thank you, good shepherd. There's a, a second reason I want you to see why he's the good shepherd. Number one, this good shepherd dies for the sheep. See, unlike what we read in verses 12 and 13 of the hired hand. <coughs> who uh, <coughs> runs in the face of danger. For he does not know the sheep. But Jesus, who loves his sheep, will not run. He will not hide. No, he's a powerful shepherd. You'll see in your notes it says, <coughs> knows. But as we'll come to see, this word knows means a whole lot more than just a mere intellectual knowledge. No, this goes yet deeper. This now plunges into the motive behind his death upon the cross. Let's read verses 12 through 14 to unpack this. In verses 12, Jesus says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming. And he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, in contrast, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Jesus now bears his soul to us as he tells us that not only he has died for the sheep, he loves the sheep. He knows the sheep. And he died for them individually and personally. Notice verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Th this is a repetition of what we just saw in verse 11, and intentionally so. He's not stuttering. He is underscoring what is the central theme of this entire discourse. I am the good shepherd. It's worthy of being repeated. He isn't elevating a, a peripheral issue that is just on the sidelines of this passage. No, th this is the very backbone with which everything hangs upon. And I would remind us that he declares this to the Pharisees and to all the religious leaders of Israel who are the exact opposite of the good shepherd. He alone is the good shepherd now. Note what follows. This is the second reason why he is the good shepherd. And I know my own. This word uh, know is used uh, virtually synonymous with the word love. What in reality Jesus is saying is, I love my own. This term know in the Bible describes the most intimate, loving relationship between a husband and wife. Same 
word, and it's always used. Adam knew Eve. And it is to be intimate, intimately acquainted in the context of relationship in which there is an overflowing love for this person. And Jesus says, I know my own. Jesus is saying that I have a depth of love and height of affection for whom I am laying down my life for. I know my own. Please note also the order here. I know my own and my own know me. He knew us long before we ever knew him. He's known us from eternity past. I mean, some of this stuff just blows my brain's out reading this. I mean, this is the meaning of that word foreknowledge that we see in Scripture. Which has nothing to do with a previous awareness of a set of facts about something. It means eternally entering into a relationship with those whom he has called. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8 verse 29. For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he had predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This loving knowledge that the good shepherd has for his own is an eternal love that is personal and relational and unconditional. Do not think that when Jesus went to the cross that he simply died for some random group of people out there that he, he didn't know. That borders on blasphemy. When Jesus went to the cross, he died for his own. What love was in the Savior's heart when he went to the cross? Listen to these verses in Ephesians 5.2. Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you. And by the way, have you ever noticed that the majority of verses that speaks of Christ's love for you speaks in the past tense? Not all, but quite a few. It's usually in the past tense pointing back to the greatest extent of his love that is indisputable when he laid down his life for us in its supreme pinnacle and expression of love for us, that he laid down his life upon that cross. Galatians 2 verse 20 states, The Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The evidence of his love for us is represented in the Bible as him giving himself up for us. Does he love you? He laid down his life at the cross for you. Romans 5, 8 says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Every one of these verses couched in the love of Christ in terms of looking back to the past is looking back to the cross. As Christ Jesus laid down his life for his sheep. Later in John chapter 10 verse 27, Jesus will say, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. He knows all about the goats, but he intimately knows his sheep. Romans chapter 11, verse 2 says it yet again. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. God will not reject anyone whom he has set his seal upon from eternity past. They will come into his fold. I mean, this, this is amazing. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3 says it even clearer. If anyone loves God, he is known by God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, 
But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Wow. What a glorious thing it is to be known by this good shepherd. To be intimately and personally known by the only good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Now, before we move on and I have a heart attack, we must look at verse 14. You can see why I was pinned against my seat in in prayer all week long. Because Jesus says, not only do I know my own, but he also says, my own know me. By the grace of God, our good shepherd knows us inside and out. But how well do you know him? Jesus, you know, intimate, the good shepherd knows us and how he's demonstrated his great love for us. Well, how intimate do you know him? John chapter 17, verse 3 is a passage that leaps out of the Bible. As Jesus said these incredible words, this is eternal life. What is eternal life? This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You want to know what eternal life is? It is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you understand the difference between just participating in some empty uh, religious rituals. Maybe uh, some churches will have you sit in the pew and you just sort of repeat, uh, repeat random things back to a religious lit- leader as you sit in a pew. You're just going through some of the empty motions of just vain religion versus our hearts yearning to know the one true God every day. I hope for you every day is an opportunity to get to know your Lord Jesus Christ more intimately. Talks about an actual relationship with God. And it is my joy every day to grow closer in some unique way that he always blesses us with. When we seek our Lord and Savior Jesus, it is a personal relationship with the person and the work of Christ. Whoever it is that you know best on this earth, whether it's your husband or or wife or your children, I hope it it pales in insignificance to how well it is that you know the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter where you are in this world, whatever situation you're in, you could be in an empty room, you could be lost out in a jungle by yourself, you would be never alone from his fellowship because he knows you and expects that you know him. In Ephesians 4, verse 13, Paul's saying that the, the, the preaching of the word has been given to us until, quote, we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That's the whole purpose of having a, a Bible study or the teaching and preaching of God's word. That's the end result, that we grow in knowing the Son of God. I want to know him, that you might Know Christ more intimately and personally to have communion with the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. I want to know them all. Philippians chapter 3 verse 8. What a a glorious text this is. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything else in life, I count it all as rubbish. In the the original, as dung. It's poop. In order that I may gain Christ, it's all worthless. I want to gain Christ. And he'll go on to say in verse 13, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize, which is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus This doesn't sound like a man who's been chained to a guard for untold years. 
This doesn't sound like a man who doesn't know if at any moment when Roman guards might barge in through the doors and drag Paul out and put his neck onto a rock for his execution. No. He sounds like a man who knows Jesus Christ intimately. He writes this letter to encourage the church he had started in Philippi, whom he hasn't seen for nearly 10 years. You remember when we went through the book of Philippians, it's referred to as the book of joy because it's seeping with this kind of stuff. The entire book just lifts the hearts of its readers. This is a man who truly knows Jesus Christ. One more amazing verse, and we'll move on. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Peter writes, Beloved, Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's really what sanctification uh, sanctification is at its heart. It is a a growing in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is to know Christ more intimately. Now, if you were to ask how intimately does the good shepherd really know us, Verse 15 answers that question, and if you haven't read this before, it's going to blow your socks off. If, 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 if this doesn't pull at your heartstrings, I don't know what would get your attention. Jesus is making a comparison for us. He says in first in verse 14, I know my own and my own know me, and then he connects it. It continues on into verse 15. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, this is an extraordinary statement, my friends. Don't let this pass you by. The depths with which Jesus knows his own and that his own know him, he says to that same degree that the Father knows the Son and that the Son knows the Father. This is how the Son knows us. This is, the, this is the parallel that he uses that corresponds to the depth of the knowledge that the Good Shepherd has for his sheep. Now let me say this at the outset. His knowledge for us is perfect. Our knowledge of him will always be expanding, but nevertheless, he knows us to the same degree that he knows the Father. Think of how he knows the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. It gives the meaning of face-to-face for all of eternity. This intimate dwelling of the Father and the Son. In verse 18 in chapter 1, it talks about him being against the bosom of the Father. The intimacy and the closeness of relationship that existed just the pouring out of mutual love and mutual affection that the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Father. This is how Jesus represents his relationship to the Father. Now he says, this is how I know my sheep. <sighs> Listen, Jesus is not far away and distant from us. He's not just the, the finish line of the race. He's running with us. Christ dwells in us. We, we are one in spirit with Jesus Christ. This is why he is the good shepherd. It, it, it's one thing for him to say, uh, I lay down uh, my life, and perhaps we can't even go beyond that as an expression of his love. But then he also lays down his life for the sheep, and he does so out of the bowels of his affection, out of the depth of his love, out of the extreme concern and care for us. I know my own and my own know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father. We're just brought into this, this tra- triangle of, of love relationship between the Son and the Father that they just keep throwing back and forth to each other. And we, we are allowed into this small group of the Godhead to be the recipient of this eternal love. There's a third reason I want to give you why he is the good shepherd. Number one, he is the good shepherd because he dies for his sheep. 
Number two, Jesus is the good shepherd because he knows his sheep, because he loves his sheep intimately. And then number three, Jesus is the good shepherd because he gathers his sheep. He leaves none of his sheep behind. He leaves none of his sheep out in the wilderness at night to be devoured by the wolves. He gathers in all of his sheep unto himself. Verse 16. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Now, last week, we identified this fold. I told you the first fold in verse 1 is Israel in this context. The shepherd comes to the fold. He calls out his sheep from Israel out of Judaism. The Lord is the shepherd. He comes to Israel, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. He then calls out his sheep by name. Those sheep will hear his voice. They will recognize his voice and they will follow him. But he says, he also has sheep which are not a part of the fold of Israel. I must bring them also. Who are they? They are non-Jews, anybody outside of Israel. The Gentiles, all the nations. This is a, a, a beautiful picture and what we see described throughout the whole old testament and as we saw in ezekiel 34 last week all of this is being fulfilled he knew us at the cross uh, but now uh, we must be drawn to him he knew you at the cross but now we must be drawn to him john 6 no, no one comes to the father unless the father draws him first no one comes to the son Unless the Father first draws them, and they, verse 16, will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. You couldn't make this any more personal. This is you. This refers to us. Notice the second word of verse 16 there. I have other sheep. What verb tense is that? It's present, right? It's present. These sheep have not even come yet. These sheep have not yet been brought, yet Jesus already possesses them. And the reason that he already possesses them is what you see down in verse 29. In verse 29, Jesus says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. We are given by the Father to the Son long before we ever came to him. This is election, this is sovereign grace, this is Ephesians 1.4. Let's just read what it says in the Bible. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Just repeat that and spin your head around again. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation. Were you around before the foundation of the world? I wasn't. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us. And then here's the word. For adoption to himself as sons and I'll say daughters through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. The father having chosen us for no reason in and of ourselves. In fact he chose us in spite of us. There was no reason for him to choose us. Yet. Out of his abundance of grace, he chose you to be the, the bride of Christ to the Son. And in eternity past, he gave his bride as a love gift to the Son. <laughs> and then as we'll see in a moment, he then gave the Son a command. And he commanded the Son to leave the confines of heaven. And as he came down from earth to become the shepherd of the sheep, he then came down to lay down his life in an act of love in a perfect obedience to the Father. So Jesus says in verse 16, I have other sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. Notice Jesus said, I must bring them. 
sheep will not come on our own. Please. Isaiah 53 says we are all like sheep who have gone astray. We have, we have all turned to our own way. Luke 16 says that the good shepherd had to leave the 99 to go looking for the one. He says, I, I must bring them. I, I must bring them and I will bring them. This means that he must compel them. He must lay hold of them. He must, he must draw them. He must overcome their resistance to bring them to himself. Now, what will be their response? Will the son attempt to bring them or some and, and he'll fail? What does Jesus say? I must bring them and they will. They will. Hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. What a, what a glorious passage this is. That's the character of the, the good shepherd. These last couple sections are quick. Our third section here is, is the atoning sacrifice. The atoning sacrifice. In verse 17 we pick up. Jesus says, for this reason, the Father loves me. Why? Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge or, or this commandment I have received from my Father. You know, it is a noble thing for someone to lay down their life for someone. But you or I can do that, right? You can lay down your life for someone you love. You can take a, a bullet for somebody that you love. You can intervene when if someone's being attacked. We have men and women, brave all the time, who, who can go into war and die for their country. You can lay down your life for someone. It's a noble thing. It's certainly a, a selfless thing. It's a courageous thing. But it's something that, that can be a common thing. But let me show you what's not common. Again, by this time, Jesus is surrounded by the, the leaders of Israel. And no doubt, all the onlookers have, have surrounded him in this lesson. And they're intently listening. And Jesus says, I have authority to lay my life down and authority to take it up again. Now we have crossed into territory that none of us can enter into. I love my wife. I love my family. And like any parent in this room, I would in a moment lay down my life for my family. Every parent, every husband, every wife would. But I have no authority to take it back up again. <laughs> when Jesus says, I lay my life down and I have authority to take it back up, Again, what he's saying is, I am not like any shepherd you have ever seen. These are not just words of a generous and gracious person. These are not words of a good teacher. No, this is a man who's claiming to be the great I am. He is claiming to be God. When somebody says that they have the authority to take their life back up again, you have to do something with this man. This is a staggering claim. Anyone can lay down their life, but who in the world has the authority to take it back up again? One man, one true shepherd, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He alone was the perfect, spotless, sinless, atoning sacrifice for our sins. This was the message of Jesus Christ. And then notice where this charge came from. This commandment came from my Father. And as everything he did, Jesus exercised his authority to lay down his life, to take it up again in perfect obedience and in perfect compliance to the Father. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12 says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Well, that is the good shepherd. Now, how do you suppose the false shepherds of Israel reacted to these claims? Well, let's see as we move to verses 19 to 20. Last uh, section for the fallen world. How does blind Israel respond to these wonderful life? breathing words that 
our Savior said. Verse 19 says, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? No doubt the, the blind man is sitting right there. Remember me? Remember me? Whenever the truth is preached, whenever a crowd hears the words of the Messiah, we see it over and over again in John's gospel, a division occurs. Remember just a few weeks ago, we saw it back in chapter 9, verse 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Jesus didn't even need to be there for that division to happen. That was all in the testimony of the blind man. But, but, but why does this happen? Because truth divides. Jesus is like a sword and it comes down and it, it splits. And one day when the Lord returns, there will be a final dividing judgment. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, But when the Son of Man comes in all of his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Amen. In the last day, we will all be divided by what we did with the truth. The truth. The truth is, is that Jesus is the only door into heaven. Over the last couple of weeks, we poured through the book of Isaiah and we saw repeated throughout one of the signs that God had promised about one of the ways that you would recognize the true Messiah is that he would take eyes that had never seen before and he would give them sight to see. Everything about John 9 and John 10 is a, a microphone blaring out, the Messiah is here, the Messiah has come and when Jesus says I lay down my life for the sheep and I have the authority to take it up again he's again saying the Messiah is here we're all in two categories all of us are sinners that's not what divides us we're all sinners it's what do you believe about Jesus Christ for those who believe that Christ is who he says he is and they have followed him. They are his sheep. And he's covered their sins by the blood of the lamb. And for those who have not followed him and who do not believe he is who he says that he is, they are on the outside. All of us have sinned. All of us need a savior. What divides us is what do you do with Christ? And so as we close today, I just want to take you back quickly to John chapter 6, verse 66. Me and Adam have been studying these last couple of verses in chapter 6. And of course, we preached through them a little while ago, so you'll remember them. This is after the, the, the jaw-dropping miracle that Jesus took the, the two loaves and the two fishes and fed over 5,000 men, probably 15,000 people until they were full. Supernaturally spoke food into creation. He preaches that great bread of life sermon that the sun has come down out of heaven. It looks like this could be the, 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 the momentum, the, this great revival breakout. But after they heard the words of Christ, they became too hard for them to hear. And it says in verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. 
So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I'm no prophet, but with everything going on right now, I feel pretty confident in telling you this much. Uh, if you think it's been difficult for Christians, we ain't seen anything yet. It's about to get much harder, and it's about to get much more costly. Where else are you going to go? Are you going to go follow the world system? Are you going to go follow some man-made, made-up religion? Are you going to go follow someone who makes you feel good about yourself? I'll tell you what, eventually they'll do with that. They'll throw you out just like they threw the, the blind man out of chapter 9 when you don't say exactly what they want you to say or how they want you to say it. They'll put you out. They'll hashtag cancel you. Where else are you going to go? What are you going to do? Uh, look, our life is but a vapor. We might have 40 years. We might have 40 minutes. It's here. It's gone. Who are you going to give your life to? Who has the words of eternal life? Jesus does, and he is the good shepherd. He is the door. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Who else can forgive us of our sins? There is no one else. So here's what you do. You get up every morning and you say, praise God, I have a good shepherd who's laid down his life for me, who's made a way for me to be right with God, and he knows me and I want to know him every day. So as I close today, I'm asking you, do you know him? If you don't, please cry, beg out for him. Beg the Lord for your life if you have to. And then leave that old life behind. Spend the rest of your life seeking after him. And you'll know if he's your good shepherd. Because once he grabs that heart of yours, you will never be the same again. It's new life. It's not part new life or a, a little bit of a better life. It's new life in Christ. What a glorious, glorious shepherd. The good shepherd, Jesus Christ. All right, if you need the prayers this morning, we have men and women down front here who would love to pray with you. And uh, with the rest of you, please stand as we sing the song of invitation.